0: We are going to finish tonight our series, Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament, which we began together on July 23rd. So I have now beaten Dan's record for the longest series, 10 weeks on Jonah, blew that away months ago, months ago. All right. So back on July 23rd, we said that this series would begin and end with these words, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. So, that is the very first verse of the New Testament. And by mentioning David and Abraham, Matthew's cluing us in that the life of Jesus is going to encompass all of God's most important promises from the Old Testament. And no part of the New Testament quotes the Old Testament as boldly and as densely, one quote right after another, as the Christmas story in the Gospel of Matthew. So it's fitting that we end our study with this passage. So where we're at in the story as we're going to come in here is some astrologers from the east have come into town. They say they have seen a sign in the sky and they're looking for a newborn king. There's just one really bad problem with that. There's already a king in Jerusalem, and he's a paranoid madman. He killed his own wife. He killed two of his adult sons because he was so paranoid that they were going to take his throne away from him. So when strangers come to town saying they're looking for a newborn child destined to be king, you can bet Herod takes interest. So Herod says, oh yeah, I hear... Bethlehem is the place you go looking for promised messiahs so off they go and as they leave he says hey hey when you find this newborn king be sure to come back and tell me where he is so I can worship him too so the wise men go to Bethlehem and they find Jesus who's now a toddler and they bring him gifts And while they're there, one of them has a dream warning them that it is time to go back home to the east, Persia or wherever they came from and that they should go by a different route and not pass through Jerusalem in order to avoid the mad king, the other mad king, Herod. And so they leave. And we jump in at chapter 2, verse 16. Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Now, you can flip back to the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, and you can read that prophecy, and if you read everything around it, you can clearly see that this prophecy is not predicting the death of infants in Bethlehem. So why does Matthew tell us that Herod's action fulfills what the prophet Jeremiah says? Did Matthew not think we could just go back and look it up, see for ourselves? Maybe he was hoping we would go back and look it up. Because this is an instance, and there are many instances, especially in Matthew, where Matthew starts an Old Testament quote, but we're supposed to finish it. Now, you guys can do this with all kinds of stuff if I I get outside the Bible. For instance, if I start a quote by Spider-Man's uncle, I bet you can finish it. With great power comes... I bet if I go to Toy Story and start a quote by Buzz Lightyear, you can finish it. To infinity. And beyond. Remember that time Obi Wan said, That's no moon. <laughs> go to the world of sports. Every other year, you can watch the Olympics for the thrill of victory. Ask not what your country can do for you. We have nothing to fear. Let's go highbrow. To be or not to be. We hold these truths to be self-evident. And each is endowed by God with certain inalienable rights, and that among these are... So when Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31, 15, a cry is heard in Ramah. Oh, that's where Rachel's buried. Deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel, that's the mother of all Israel, weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children are gone. He knows that if we go back and look or if we knew our Old Testament really well, we could finish it very next verse. But now this is what the Lord says. Do not weep any longer, for I will reward you, says the Lord. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children will come again to their own land. And if you kept reading, and I only know this because I preached from the same Bible in August, you will then come to the new covenant. I make this new covenant with you. And Jesus quotes that at the Last Supper. It's all right here. And that means no matter how dark and terrifying your story gets, and this Christmas story, let's be honest, got really dark and terrifying. Do not lose hope, for the glory of God has overcome this world. That's how Herod fulfilled what the prophet said. Herod did something he intended, great evil for his own gain, and he fell right into the hands of God, who, if he does nothing else in history, constantly takes what humans intend for evil and twists it into something good. And he has now made the scriptures full because God is about to do it again. The children of Israel were made to suffer, but God through Jesus is about to come and bring everyone home. With love, with love, God has overcome the world. And that's what we're here to celebrate tonight. That whatever darkness you are in, whatever darkness someone you love may be in, if you will turn to him, if they will turn to him, He is the God who can lead us home. This is the miracle of Christmas we come to celebrate. Merry Christmas, everyone. Amen. Please be seated as we begin our last tradition. We will light the Christmas can we will turn out the lights here in a moment. We will sing silent night. And we'll have just a moment of silence, extinguish the candles, and we'll leave in silence from the sanctuary. Of course, Merry Christmas to your heart's content in the lobby, but we leave kind of on that silent moment as they... reflective of the Christmas Eve night waiting for the Savior to be born. I want to talk for just a moment about the meaning of this candle. This white candle represents Christ and in a moment when we put out all the lights, represents the darkness of the world, the darkness of our lives as we wait for Christ, as we wait for God, it will lead us home. Um, I will light with this candle, there'll be some ushers here by then, and I will light those candles. Then they will light the candles of the folks on the ends of each aisle and then you'll light the candles next to you. And in this way, then the light of Christ will spread through the room as it spreads through the world. In fact, exactly in the way it spreads through the world because it will spread through this room in the same way it spreads through the world, one person sharing it with the next. And that is how the light of Christ spreads through the world. When that light comes to you, it represents a Christ. It represents the light of Christ that can lead you home can lead you back to that place where you knew who you were and what you were about. Or even if you didn't, you had the feeling that had you not gotten distracted and had you lingered there just a little longer, he was just about to show you who you are and why you're here. And when this light comes to you, if you will follow the light of Christ in the new year, it will bring you home to that place when you will know who you are, why you're here, what all of this is about. And this family all around you passing the light here to help. We do this together. That's that's what what we're about to do represents. So let us stand together. The ushers will come forward. We'll put down the lights.